Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Roads Untraveled podcast. My name is Marcus, your host, as always, for this evening. I am joined by no one, actually. I'm doing another solo podcast this week. You may have noticed that actually we've put up uh, two podcasts a week for the last couple weeks, or whenever we kind of have an extra one to throw up. We'll do that. Um, which will be happening this week, so I'm just throwing up a solo one for Wednesday, uh, August 24th, and then we will have another one on Saturday, August 27th, and then back again on August 31st with another podcast. Attempting to uh, climb those podcast rankings, so if you haven't already, hit us up on iTunes, give us a rating and review. That would be awesome. I just want to talk about, uh, while it's still fresh in my mind, you know, Every time we go and record a podcast, you know, we've got whatever, either it's just Grayson or we got Jesse or Ulrich in the room at the same time. And they generally, generally speaking, I'm the only one who drives these cars. So I can go on and ramble on all I want about my experience behind the wheel. But at the end of the day, all the other guests on the podcast can really do, unless they've driven the car, is ask questions. So like Vipers and stuff, uh, or the BMW i8, or the Tesla, that like Grayson, or um, that Grayson's driven those cars, or Jesse's, you know, been in the passenger seat of a Viper ACR, they can definitely weigh in on the the cars, but um, it's a different perspective behind the wheel, so I figured, you know what, while these three cars that I'm about to talk about are fresh on my mind, why don't I give you guys just my dedicated thoughts on these cars, so... We just uploaded a video, actually a few minutes ago, of a Honda S2000. My first experience behind a Honda S2000. So, previous to this, I had driven a Toyota Corolla AE86 with a Honda S2000, um, I believe it's the 2 liter AP, whatever the AP1 engine is for that car, uh, about 240 horsepower. Uh, a lot less than that in torque, because um, it's just high revving revs to like 9,000 RPM, something crazy. But this S2000 that I just drove on Saturday, it's Tuesday today, so fairly fresh in my mind, um, was supercharged. It's an AP2, so it's slightly lower redline, but you do get a little bit of the bottom, more, more bottom end torque, essentially. Um, revs to 8,200 RPM, and the owner of this car, John, has supercharged this engine, which is very interesting. Actually, quick, just dropping back a little bit here. Uh, How we came across to film this car is someone, like a fan of the show, basically messaged me on Instagram from Vancouver. And he was like, hey, he sent me a picture of this S2000. And he was like, hey, you guys should film this car. And I messaged him back. I'm like, do you know if this car is local? And he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. And he sends me another picture. Sure enough, it's got PC plates, right? So I messaged the guy. And less than a week later, we're filming this S2000. I'm driving it. Um, he basically, he pulls up uh, to our meeting spot in quote unquote Mexico. <laughs> and uh, I see the big, I see a big fat intercooler in the front grill. And I ask him, hey, like what's done to the engine? Because I didn't even really bother to ask him. I was just like, this car looks sick. Let's go film an S2000. Even if it was stock, I'd absolutely love to get the opportunity to drive one of the kind of essential uh like if you're gonna have a honda experience i feel like the nsx the s2000 and like maybe a civic or uh si or integra type r would be kind of the quintessential you've got to get behind these cars right 
So with that thought in mind, basically I was I was surprised. I was like, hey, there's an intercooler. So he pops the hood, and it's got a centrifugal supercharger on it. Uh, something a basically the only forced induction uh, I guess method that I have never driven before. You know, the first episode of Rose and Traveled, I drove a 04 Terminator Cobra thanks to Michael. Um, drove it for like five minutes. I pulled in like second gear. That's about it. Uh, and that was obviously roots blower. This was my first time behind the wheel of a centrifugal supercharger, and it's very different. Very different. It's I kind of describe it in the video, but you know we have to cut these things down. And in all reality, I drove the car for about twenty-five to forty-five minutes, roughly in total, between you know uh, driving shots when we do like the chase shots, um, what we call the B-roll, and then when I actually do the physical review behind the camera. So first of all, it's it's nothing like a turbo. It may look like a turbo. It has pretty much nothing in common with a turbo when you're actually putting your foot down what it what it does feel like though the one characteristic it does take from the turbo is you know like a turbo spools up and you basically as soon as it spools up you just get your you get pushed back in your seat like horsepower does that too but it does it kind of it's more the top end generally it kind of does it just gradually and stuff with the torque torque can come on with a turbo if the turbo spools up quick enough and hard enough, it'll basically just be like a big punch, right? Um, so the supercharger is kind of like that, but not really. It's basically that torque punch that you get um, quickly with the turbo as it spools up in a matter of like a few hundred RPMs or whatever it is, 1,000 RPMs. It's, it's basically extended. It's a really strange feeling because between like 5,000 and 8,200 RPM, it's kind of just continuously doing that. But at the same time, if you let off the gas and then hit the gas again, it's right there. Like it's, it's basically instant power. Basically. It's very close. There's, there's like turbo lag. If, if there was a spectrum between say the average turbo lag, let's take a 2016 WRX, uh, which virtually has no turbo lag, but I mean, it's got turbo lag. Um, and then you've got a S2000, ap2 na engine and somewhere in between the centrifugal supercharger that is on this ap2 honda s2000 engine is definitely a lot closer to the um to the na engine for sure it's way over to that side of the spectrum really cool um here's another thing i've been crazy jaded over the past two years in doing this show uh driving you know six seven eight hundred horsepower cars on a not a not a regular basis but you know generally like once a month i'd say i'll get behind the wheel of a car with more than 600 horsepower at the wheels and that'll just i mean it awakens the senses the cars like that awaken the senses in in ways that no other experience other like i used to snowboard a lot that's another experience that will induce that kind of adrenaline rush for sure. Actually, snowboarding does more for more to the adrenaline side of things than cars do for me. But uh, anyways, I've, I've become so used to that kind of power that getting in a 363 wheel horsepower S2000 is, is definitely exciting. And I knew that that's not exclusively what this car was about. The supercharger wasn't there to make it a crazy straight line speed car. I, I get that. So when I got in, I 
I thoroughly enjoyed the car. I'm so glad it had, I mean, 265s all around. To have a 265 section front tire on an S2000 is something that you don't think you would need. But I'm glad that it was my first experience like that because, I don't know, it it there's there's no understeer. You, you huck it in. There, there's physically, the physics of having that wide of a tire on such a light car, I mean, like a 27, 2800 pound car, I don't know how much weight the supercharger adds, but, and the wheels and wide body and wing (laughs) and all that stuff, but presumably still under 3000 pounds and to stick tires on it like that. I mean, we're still on the street. Let's be fair here. I'm not, I have zero track experience. Let's get that out of the way other than drag racing, which I wouldn't consider uh, track experience. So, I mean, I'm pushing this car. It's, it's balanced. You can, you can huck in it generally you pick your line beforehand, right? So in a car uh, that I know ahead of time is going to have a tendency, let's say, to understeer on entry and oversteer on exit, uh, example C63 AMG, then it'll be a type of scenario where I will visualize the corner ahead of time. If I know, generally we pick roads that I know very well, and I will basically visualize my line ahead of time. I will come out on the outside as much as possible hit the apex, and then power out, right? With the S2000, we were on a road I've driven maybe two or three times before. Driven hard, but two or three times before. I haven't driven this road in about six months or so. So we jump on this road, and I misjudge a couple corners, you know, but you can do last-minute kind of steering inputs, and, I mean, the car just takes it. It's great. You could be outside further out to the outer side of the corner where you should actually be hitting the apex at that point and then go in and try to just ram it into the apex and try to get really close and tight so you can correct and get the proper exit and it will it will just take it and then you put the power on there's definitely not enough like torque down low at like four or five thousand rpm to get that back end out um which is a good thing i mean if you're looking to just hoon around then torque at like three to four thousand rpm is great but in a car like the s2000 it feels very much like a race car um not sure if that wing added downforce or not you guys should check the video uh, on our youtube channel roads untraveled um <laughs> probably not more for aesthetics same with the i mean the wide body's there because you could fit those wide section tires on but also it, i mean it looks good right uh car didn't rub we did have a issue uh, or the owner had an issue rather with the rear diffuser uh when we were filming the drive-by shots, he uh, basically just going too fast and a couple bolts came off in the rear diffuser. Not the end of the world, but uh, that did happen, functional or not. I think the car looks great. S2000, I would love to get behind the wheel of another one. I would love to track one. I would love to get on a track in general, but we will. I'm, I'm saving the track discussion for the next podcast with a bunch of our guests and like Grayson and Jesse and Ulrich because... There's some exciting news coming up very soon in the next uh, couple weeks pertaining to Area 27 up in the Okanagan. But that's enough of the S2000. That was a great experience. I would love to drive another one. Uh, oh, shifter feel is another thing. Honda shifter feel never fails, which uh, never fails me, which kind of brings us to our next car, which is the Honda Beat. <laughs> Yes, I drove a Honda Beat. If you don't know what that is, that is a 
K-Car from Japan. All right. So essentially what it is here, one sec, I'm going to take a sip of my drink here. Pellegrino and Captain Morgan's, if you guys haven't tried it. Anyways, so the Honda Beat is basically a uh, a K car, 660 cc's, three cylinder engine, essentially a motorcycle engine. I honestly don't know what this engine is out of. I don't know if it started out as a motorcycle engine and they just tossed it in the Honda Beat. No idea. Either way, bottom line is it's got 64 horsepower and who knows the torque. I'm going to guess between 20 and 30 foot pounds of torque uh, at the crank, but I mean crank wheel horsepower at this point doesn't really matter (laughs) let's be honest here but uh the owner of the toyota ae86 with the honda ap1 s2000 engine swap uh his friend owns this car so that's how he came about it and he has actually already sold it prior to or previous rather to us filming the car he actually sold it to a customer in wisconsin or a private sale i think he sold it on ebay to a buyer in wisconsin so I am driving somebody else's car who lives in Wisconsin um, because as per the U.S.'s 25-year uh, import rule, you cannot import something into the U.S. if it is 25 years or older. In Canada, it's 15 years. That's why we get all the Skylines and Sylvia's and all that cool stuff. But anyways, the Honda Beat uh, being made from 91 to 96 in Japan, right-hand drive only, it is now available in the U.S. So we were able to drive this car. And I mentioned it in the beginning of the video. Actually, the video is not even out yet when you're listening to this. The video is coming out tomorrow on Thursday. But I haven't, I hadn't actually thought about this car. It hadn't even crossed my mind. This is how obscure and rare this car is. It had never crossed my mind since I used to play Gran Turismo 2 back on the PS1. Way before I got my driver's license, way before I was able to drive I mean, the Honda Beat is just one of those iconic JDM cars that was in Gran Turismo, because Gran Turismo is a Japanese game, obviously. The Honda Beat. uh, (laughs) I'm going to sum it up very quickly, because honestly, there's not much to talk about. It is a... It's just a laugh. It's, It's a laugh. It's hilarious. It's an amusement park ride. I mean, it's got a five speed manual. That in and of itself is very surprising for a car this small. Uh, we parked it next. You can go onto Instagram at Roads Untraveled, and I posted a picture beside Grayson's Chevy Cobalt, which is here in North America is considered a very compact sedan, right? If you go to like Hertz or something and try to rent the smallest car they have, it's going to be something like a Chevy Cobalt. So we put the Honda Beat next to it, and the Honda Beat's like half the size. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. But the thing is, you you step inside and you actually sit in the Honda Beat. I mean, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy, right? To me, getting in a, like a Camaro ZL1, uh, like a fifth gen Camaro ZL1, is is just crazy. I mean, it's there's so much headroom; it's really big inside. Um, but the Honda Beat is it's not that bad. I mean, I fit perfectly fine. Honda shifters, like I said before, with the S2000, they just feel so good, even in the Honda Beat, right out of the box. It's it's phenomenal the clutch is a little bit light to my liking but it, i mean it's a k car it's got less than a thousand cc's um which is fine no power steering uh it feels like it has power steering because the car weighs like 1500 pounds it's also the lightest car i've ever driven uh yeah the lightest car i've ever driven uh least powerful car i've ever driven 
and smallest car I've ever driven. Also, the second convertible I've ever driven. The only other convertible I've driven is Kevin Minato's uh, Mazda Miata, which was buckets of fun. Uh but the Honda Beat, I'm sorry, Kevin. Uh, I'll take the Honda Beat <laughs> over the Mazda Miata. It's just more of it's just more of a thrill ride. I don't know. The the Miata is awesome. Don't get me wrong. The the Miata you can actually feel the back end slip around a little bit. It's more definitely more of an enthusiast car. But the Honda Beat is just when you get it on a tight road. We were filming on a very tight road. We generally sp- like pick our uh, pick our roads specifically for the cars that we film. So. We got it on a tight road, and it's very fun. Enthusiast car, I'm not sure about that. Novelty, yes. Probably closer to, like, a third car. Definitely not a first car. There's there's zero, let me repeat that, zero trunk space in the Honda Beat. You think a Porsche 911 is impractical. You think a Lamborghini Gallardo is impractical. An Aventador, no. (laughs) No, no, no. The Honda Beat has a shelf behind the engine. You could probably fit maybe a DVD collection of like 5 to 10 DVDs back there. And then you're packed. Then you're done. It's over. Unless you want to stick <laughs> unless you want to stick like a backpack at your feet, uh which there's not much room for that either. That's basically it. But I mean, the car is just such a laugh. I got to drive it for a while. Uh, mid-engine, rear-wheel drive. It's, I don't know. What, am, what the heck else am I going to say about a 64-horsepower car? Anyways, the Honda Beat, if Grace and I were talking about this when we were filming it, uh, the car basically sold. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this, but I will anyways. Uh, the car sold for five, I think the owner said it was about 5000 US dollars, um, for this Honda Beat, it only had 56,000 kilometers on it, which is very low. Uh, body needed some work, but uh, other than that, engine's in perfect shape. Interior's great. Um, everything like that is great. Tires are great. Wheels are great. Steering, everything else is in great shape. It's just the body needs a little bit, like, needs a repaint, essentially. Um, <clears throat> but for five grand, that's a cool car. That's a very cool car. In the next few years, or whenever I have five grand laying around... That would be, I, I would totally buy a Honda Beat, not going to lie. I don't know what I would do to it. Grayson was talking about, I mean, throwing in like a Honda engine because um, uh, Patrick, the owner of the S2000, who basically came out with on the shoot with us and brought the car out for us, uh, he said people do do Honda D-Series swaps in these cars, which would make a lot of sense. I mean, upping the power for like 100 horsepower would be great. Even still, the bottom line for this car, and what I'm going to end on this car with, is you don't need a lot of horsepower to have a lot of fun. I know I said earlier that I'm jaded with these high horsepower cars of like six, seven, eight hundred horsepower. But here's the thing. I can still thoroughly enjoy, have a smile on my face the entire time and be laughing and just have a great driver's experience with a car with only 64 horsepower or in a car with only 64 horsepower. I mean, that that is just speaks volumes to... Uh, just the balance of a chassis and the drivetrain itself, suspension, steering, driver inputs, the the fact that it's a convertible, the fact that you can have the top down and we're in the forest, you look up. I mean, we saw a bear cub too. There were bears where we were shooting. So, I mean, all these things just come together to create a great experience, which is really what I wanted to talk about today on this, I guess, solo podcast. 
Uh, for you guys listening at home, if you're wondering, yes, it is very weird talking into a mic when there's <laughs> when there's no one else here. So, the last car uh, that I just want to quickly brush over is the BMW E92 M3. These are all cars that we've recently filmed and put out videos on in the last week on our channel. Um, the E92 M3. So, it, it, the one I drove wasn't a six-speed. Unfortunately, I uh, much rather would have had the six speed, obviously, with any M car. It really sucks because the only M car I've driven with a stick was like a 600 wheel horsepower E36 M3 turbo. So I didn't really get the, the like, you know, raw NA um, inline six M3 experience with that car. But because the E46 M3 I drove was an SMG. Uh, that transmission's god awful. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't touch that car with a ten foot pole. Uh, if it if if it had an SMG, I would not buy that car whatsoever. It's fine once you. The only time the SMG is fine uh, in the E46 M3. Let me clarify: is when you're at full throttle. When you're going full throttle and you're braking hard and downshifting, and when you blip the throttle your, yourself, and you're going full throttle. You know, that transmission works, but every other circumstance, which is 99% of the time, it's terrible. Anyways, E92 M3, dual clutch transmission. Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is BMW's kind of first attempt at a dual clutch. Uh, I could be very wrong there, but DCT, uh, paddle shifters, we did launch control. Uh, funny enough, actually, the owner was telling me when we were doing launch control that Basically, the computer will only allow you to do launch control once every, whatever, like half an hour, 45 minutes, which I found really strange, but I guess it kind of is. I mean, obviously, it's to protect the car. I get that, but this is a pretty dated car, um, so to have that in there, I I don't know. It was it was weird, but we did get the launch control working, took a couple tries. It It's fun. It, it's, it's a really fun car. The one thing... If I had to pick one standout thing, actually, here's two standout things about the E92 M3 that I absolutely loved. Um, first off, the sound of the car. Let me tell you, the E92 M3, that 4-liter V8, is one of the best-sounding engines that I've ever gotten behind, that I've ever driven. Uh, it had slight exhaust modifications. I don't know exactly what he did to the exhaust. I believe he... Clear, basically just cleared out some piping um maybe put in like high flow cats or something like that um basically just maybe got rid of some resonators i don't know the exact thing but basically he told us you can do it for a couple hundred bucks in your own garage so we got in this car from the outside oh it's so loud and when you're on the inside and you're full throttle ripping through the gears with the paddles shifts are for for what my like experience watching youtube videos of you know the new 991 gt3 rs and mclarens and stuff it's definitely not as fast as i thought a dual clutch could be but bear in mind this is an older car this is like a 2008 it's almost 10 years old at this point so i'm not i'm not uh sticking this as my impression of a dual clutch in general but still it's it's not as quick as i would have thought i mean it's definitely quicker than the c63 amg um transmission uh from 2013 which is a lot newer but it's not really that noticeably quicker to be completely honest it's 
it wasn't not- let me put it this way it wasn't noticeable enough that i mentioned it specifically in the video how much quicker it was than the c63 let's put it that way the downshifts definitely were a little bit quicker but even still paddle shifters they're they take a little bit to get used to um the sound the sound of that v8 is great when it revs up it sounds almost i've never driven a ferrari uh we'll get to that on the next podcast uh funny story there about the Ferrari that we were supposed to drive in the next couple weeks uh, for the first time actually got totaled down in California this week but (laughs) we won't talk about that now and but we will talk about that when we have more people on the podcast but anyways the this V8 just sounds great if you haven't driven an E92 M3 get out there and drive one surprised me in so many ways the second thing that really stood out to me was how small the car feels This is something I was not expecting. I'm a small car guy. When you look at the E92 M3, it looks like, I mean, it looks like a normal coupe, right? It's a three series coupe. It's not small. Cars keep getting bigger and bigger with every passing year. And that's not something I enjoy, but something you have to live with. And you walk up to the E92 M3 and it, I mean, it looks like a decently sized car. It's not a small car by any stretch, but when you're driving hard, when you're pitching it into a corner and really picking your lines, it feels a lot smaller than it looks, which is a very, I, I mean, it blew, honestly, it blew me away. It was one of the best BMWs I've ever driven. Um, definitely my favorite M3 I've driven, although the E36, I'm, I'm taking this with a little bit of grain of salt because the E36 M3 I drove had 600 and some odd horsepower at the wheel. So obviously that was just way way faster than this m3 um but yeah e92 m3 i mean steering's good uh you can step the back end out honestly not that much it's not that much tougher to step the back end out than on the c63 everybody says the c63 amg is very tail happy which is for sure i mean it's one of the most tail happy cars i've ever driven but the e92 m3 i mean with a when you're up at like six to eight thousand RPM and you're exiting a corner and you punch it, easily, easily slip the tires in second or third gear. So, anyways, on that note, um, that was a solo podcast with yours truly. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I actually went a little bit longer than I thought I was going to, but uh, yeah, either way, short podcast to, I mean, when you compare it to some of the other stuff we put out, but like I said, we've got a special podcast actually this Saturday coming out that was recorded with, uh, Grayson, uh, founder of, uh, roads and traveled with me, 50, 50 partner. And basically he interviewed our friend Eric and because he actually went over to Toronto to get a, anyways, <laughs> he'll tell the story on the podcast. Uh, it's a cool podcast, and um, hope you guys enjoyed this. Be sure to go onto iTunes, rate and review the podcast. We really need those ratings. Our goal, as we've stated before, is to get to the top 10 automotive podcasts on iTunes. I know that's a tall order, but seriously, we can do it. We just crested over 80,000 subscribers on YouTube. The big 100K will be happening soon. Uh, so if you have any ideas for what we should do for 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, hit us up at roadsandtravel.net. You can head over to the contact page and send in like your messages or your questions. You can also go on to facebook.com slash roadsandtravelshow. Send us a message to our Facebook page. I personally read all of those. 
and uh, we'll get back to you when I have the opportunity to. And yeah, if you have any questions for the show, we will next time we have like a full cast, we'll go through listener questions and yeah, we'll answer whatever you want to know about the show or our cars or yeah, anything like that. But either way, we will yeah, we'll see you on Saturday and we will also see you next Wednesday. Have a good one, guys.